0: Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons. In today's program, we begin with some comments from the Narrative Wars posse. We open up then with an update regarding the Maui fires and the rapid spread of lawsuits. We also discuss the utter confusion at the scene of the fire and new reports that are emerging from citizen journalists on the island of Maui. And just in time for back to school, it seems like we're back to masking up as certain health officials are talking. Talking about the return of COVID protocols. And finally, there's that infamous Donald J. Trump mugshot that's circulating out there, courtesy of a certain courthouse in the state of Georgia. Well, it seems that mugshot has gone viral and is now more famous than any 1960s counterculture Andy Warhol knockoff art that is circulating. All of this and the bigger picture on today's edition of Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. And you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. Well, let's jump right into today's program, and we're going to do that by taking a look at some comments from the Narrative Wars Posse. It seems like Getter is the easiest way for Our listeners to respond. So take a look at Getter, go to Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you'll find us Narrative Wars on Getter. The truth of Lahaina Maui fire is being covered up. That was one of the stories that we covered last week. And here's some responses. Uh, Speak Truthfully said, I've been listening to a lot of talk about EMPs and DEWs. So I assume Speak Truthfully is referring to electric electromagnetic pulse, and direct energy weapons. Continuing, Speak Truthfully says... Considering the heat that melted iron and the things that weren't even touched, it certainly gives you food for thought. Well, yeah, it certainly does, and we're going to continue to investigate that. If there was a fire the night before, writes Storm Bear, why didn't the firefighters, why didn't the fire department report? The siren warning system wasn't working. And MAGA in Arizona writes, they are in full CYA mode. If they can get away with 9-11, this will be a cakewalk. And Trump, the establishment, finally puts up a picture of DEW Maui Burst. And you may have seen that uh, picture or meme out there. It looks like a can of Mountain Dew, but it it says Maui Dew, Maui Burst. Well, thank you for that feedback. And again, take a look at our Getter page, Jeffrey K. Lyons. You'll find Narrative Wars on Getter. And just post up your comments on any particular story that we cover. And uh, we'll take a look at those comments. We certainly appreciate them and appreciate the feedback uh, that people are giving. This is your program. This is your platform. And this is the reason why we do it. All right, let's jump right into the first piece here. Maui County sues Hawaiian Electric Company alleging negligence. Well, the county of Maui is suing Hawaiian Electric Company alleging that negligence led to devastating wildfires. And this comes as officials release the names of hundreds of people that are still accounted for. So let's jump right into this. Uh, This is cut number one. NBC's Sam Brock is in Maui for us once again with the very latest. So Sam, let's start with that lawsuit. What's, What's at the heart of the lawsuit? Sure. So, Greg, this is the 13th lawsuit that has now been filed against Hawaiian Electric. What makes this so significant is, Craig, it is the first time that the county is directly blaming the utility for what happened and seeking just compensation. They're saying right now this is a systemic failure of the power grid system-wide. Now, there are three different components of that lawsuit. Let's talk about them as it pertains to negligence. One of them is not de-energizing the lines, Craig. They say that with the high wind warnings and red flag warnings, that should have been a common sense course of action it didn't happen they're also alleging that they did not maintain their equipment and clear out nearby dry vegetation that could be ripe for blazes and that they failed to turn off the electricity once the lines were down potentially further fanning the flames so apparently there's 13 lawsuits against hawaiian electric but this one specifically is coming from maui county And they have three uh, points of contention, three points of harm, which they feel Hawaiian Electric uh, did uh, against the county of Maui and its residents. And that's why they're bringing this lawsuit. The first one has to do with uh, the power lines not being cut. Well, at some point, the power did go off. So what they're talking about is it it wasn't cut proactively uh, before uh, transformers blew up. And apparently, uh, it turns out that Hawaiian Electric doesn't have a particular protocol in place for red flag warnings uh, when to cut off the power uh, proactively. Secondly, that Hawaiian Electric did not clear brush from under power lines. And uh, this is another interesting point because Hawaiian Electric... Uh, the information is out there that they had requested money from the Hawaii state legislature to do this very thing, Uh, did not turn off power when power lines were down is the third point in this lawsuit. And, uh, Yes, there are photos of power lines uh, being down on the Malka side or the mountain side of Lahaina and then Sparks. And so there is some direct video evidence that seems to lead to that conclusion and that doesn't look uh, very good for Hawaiian Electric. Well, a couple of other observations here. Uh, Why is the governor quick to blame climate change as the cause of the fire? I mean, you've got video right there that shows power lines down and electricity and sparks, and looks like the power lines have uh, sparked uh, and caused the fire. So, I don't know. I don't know why the governor says climate change uh, caused the fire. Uh, Why were leaders away from the scene of the crime? Now, it's interesting. The governor was away on vacation, so he wasn't in Hawaii. The fire chief was away. Herman Andaya, the head of the Maui Emergency Management Agency, was on Oahu at Interestingly enough, at a FEMA conference, Herman Ondaya is the one who resigned his position one day after saying that he didn't regret his decision of not sounding the sirens. Well, third, uh, why were so many people in Lahaina directed towards the front street? Area and a number of people perished there. People jumped in the water. Uh, it was just a disaster area, and you've all we've all seen these uh, public images of cars that were just backed up and were fried on Front Street, and so they were trapped between Front Street and the ocean, the fire on the mountainside, the ocean on the other side, and they had no other choice uh, but to stay in their car and perish or jump out of the car into the water. Fourthly, there's been sort of a media blackout out there. Uh, there's a high number of missing children, and uh, this story, uh, they've been uh, pushing, and yet they're not getting satisfactory information from the mayor of Maui, and uh, clearly there were there are a lot of missing children. There continue to be. Uh, school was closed for the day, so the children were at home uh, when the fire was happening. Now there is a story out there of a child that was found at home. Tragically, the child was found by the parents, and the child had perished, clutching the family dog. Uh, There's also stories out there about bodies washing up on a neighboring island of Lanai, uh, which is right across. You can see it. It's close by uh, from Lahaina and uh, also bodies floating in Lahaina Harbor. But there's no media coverage on this. These are uh, stories, anecdotal stories from uh, people on the island of of Lanai and people who uh, saw uh, Lahaina Harbor when the fire was burning. So there's sort of a media blackout on some of these stories. Number five, and finally, there are citizen journalists that are stepping up and covering this story. It's very interesting. One of them uh, is a person who sells skincare products. Another one is a real estate agent named Eric the skincare product person, her name is uh, Tracy. And uh, so people are stepping up and they're sort of filling this gap because there is a media blackout there. And in today's age of social media, cell phones, uh, TikTok and YouTube, uh, everyone has access uh, to shooting a quick video, putting something out. So this is what we're seeing citizen journalists uh, filling that media blackout gap. And that's why we keep hearing of new stories and new information continues to come in as people come forth to give their story. Well, moving on to our next piece, only those who disobeyed survived. Some Maui survivors had to ignore local government to stay alive. Uh, this is a piece from Daily Caller. Residents in West Maui faced a barricade that blocked the only paved exit out of town when they attempted to escape the raging wildfires, according to the Associated Press, forcing them to evade the authorities' obstacles. Well, let's take a listen to this piece. And in this piece, you're going to hear a cut from Hawaii News Now, a television station, August 23, 2023. You're going to hear two other stories, one from a citizen blogger that goes by Brush Junkie and another citizen blogger named Eric at Hawaii Real Estate. Uh, Let's take a listen to this cut number two. This morning, new reports of roadblocks and confusing, confusing communication contributing to the chaos in Lahaina on the night of the deadly fire. Now, we've spoken to many people who say Front Street became a traffic jam. Video of the aftermath shows lines of cars charred when flames overtook them. The associated press reports that utility crews had blocked at least one road out of lahaina and were trying to turn drivers back towards town to prevent them from driving over down power lines one family ignored the barricade and drove to safety another family turned out a standstill traffic onto a dirt road to eventually get to napili a third family drove the wrong way down front street to escape the firestorm Survivors say by about 4 p.m. the place was an inferno. Another fact, and I have um, evidence, first-hand accounts, but the police were blocking the exit out of Lahaina from Front Street. So, um, there are not a whole lot of roads that come out of Lahaina. Front Street is the main way that people will get into and out of Lahaina, and they were being blocked by police and again in the interview with uh, that local guy he was there and he didn't see any reason why they should have been blocking the roads there was no obstruction there was no danger ahead so i went around back to front street and there was all the cars were lined up but none of them were moving and i walked all the way from safeway to the chart house not one car had moved and i was wondering what was Stopping the traffic. And I got to the end and I looked up. There were no obstructions. There was no reason to keep those cars. And I I said, What are you doing? He goes, Well, I'm under orders to keep them here. And I said, The fire is is right around Safeway. It's going to hit Front Street. You know, these people got to get out of here. And he said, I'm following orders. No way. So the excuse was I'm following orders and it seems like people were trapped on Front Street with no way, with nowhere to go. Uh, Continuing in this story by Daily Caller, uh, only those who disobeyed survived. And this was August 23, 2023, the Daily Caller story. Uh, Here's some information from a person who was there, a resident of Lahaina, Cole, millington who said it made no sense what they were doing uh this is what cole millington said quote they could see the sky was black they could see the city was on fire they could see that the wind was still whipping around but they were already starting to plant new power poles so hmm the question is why were they planting new power poles and uh, trying to fix power lines in extremely dangerous conditions, why, why didn't they just push the power poles that were in the road off the road uh, with their heavy equipment, uh, keep the electricity down and get the cars out? Uh, why weren't people the primary concern at that point? Uh, save lives, clear the roads, uh, get the people out. Well, that is not what happened. So there were numerous things that happened that um, are going to be investigated. And uh, I, I believe that uh, there were there were a multitude of errors that occurred here. And so, of course, hindsight is always twenty uh, twenty but there were some decisions that were made that certainly uh, were not uh, the best at the time. Uh, Many residents could not escape the traffic. They abandoned their cars, to jump in the Pacific. And we went in detail and we covered that in our last episode last week. If you didn't hear that, you might want to take a listen to last week's episode. Well, a couple observations here. Um, I spoke with a Lahaina homeowner personally uh, that said the bypass road was blocked and traffic was being directed down to Front Street. And again, the bypass road They're referring to the road that is on the Malka side or the mountain side of Lahaina. Lahaina lies between two roads. It's a small town, 12,000 people. Uh, Some say 13,000 people, no more. But it's between two roads. And so there's only one way uh, in and out of these two roads, and that's it. But the upper road that is on the mountain side, completely blocked off, and the lower road which is called Front Street it seemed everybody was directed down there but then there was a uh, r- there were roadblocks and people just came to a halt and people had to flee their cars for their lives another observation many stories are getting out with the same theme of people that did not comply with the police roadblocks and they went around them they lived so, mm, that's interesting. Uh, and we heard that in this piece. Uh, people that drove down the wrong side of the road and drove in the opposite direction the fire lived. Uh, there was a person who just made their own road with a four-wheel drive and drove across the dirt and, and got away from the fire. But unfortunately, uh, that was not the majority of people. Maui chief of police is making excuses uh, and is there are conflicting stories that don't seem to match up with the eyewitness survivors. Well, the Maui uh, police chief is saying, and this is from another story here. This is AP, August 24th, 2023. The story is titled, In deadly Maui fires, many had no warning and no way out. Those who dodged a barricade survived. As I mentioned Uh, There was a family that swerved around a barricade and drove 45 minutes later, uh, they were uh, safe and they were in a four-wheel drive and another man uh, drove uh, his vehicle up a dirt road and then later he went down to Lahaina in order to help rescue survivors. During a news conference Tuesday, Maui Police Chief John Peltier uh, said police officers drove up and down streets, knocking on doors and using loudspeakers to tell people to leave. Uh, But he didn't say exactly where and at what time uh, those efforts occurred. Interestingly enough, uh, there have not been any eyewitness reports coming out Uh, that said this happened. Uh, That's not to say there may be some coming out in the future, but as of uh, this uh, time when I'm making this program, I have not seen any. Continuing in the article, the Associated Press has filed public records requests for location reports and other documentation, including video internal communications, to clarify the details of the police and fire response. Now, this is... Pretty interesting, uh, and it kind of goes back uh, to uh, one of the comments uh, that we had uh, on our Getter page. MAGA in Arizona uh, wrote, they're in full CYA mode, and it seems that the Maui police chief is in CYA mode. Associated Press is not buying it, and that's why they are requesting public record Uh, information, uh, location reports, and other documentations, including video and internal communications, uh, to see and to get to the bottom of what really did happen. Well, Narrative Wars continues to expand its audience, both in the United States and internationally. We've got listeners in some exotic places, such as Brunei and Pakistan, And we've also got listeners in Australia and Canada, along with others, each month. Now, this list continues to change, uh, so thank you, international listeners. Hey, we're so thankful for you, our Narrative War listeners. We know that you could choose to do other things with your time, and we honor your commitment to free speech, American values, that make us all proud to be living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And a big shout out to those listeners who are now following us on Getter and X, formerly known as Twitter. I do enjoy receiving your feedback and reading some of those comments on the air. And it seems this last week, Getter is where most of you were. Again, you can follow us on Twitter and Getter by going to at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And for more information, visit our website, at narrativewars.org that's narrativewars.org also when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app please five-star rate follow and send our podcast link to two to three like-minded friends and that's how we continue to expand the narrative wars posse we truly appreciate your support you are the reason why we do this program and now let's continue Well, moving on to uh, our next piece uh, today, let's take a listen uh, to this. Now, this is a piece that has to do with the return of the mask. There is a lot of buzz out there, especially on Twitter. And I think it's primarily parents that are concerned about this. You know, are we going to have to mask up our kids? My kid hates the mask. I had a conversation recently with a teacher that moved from a blue state uh, to the heartland of America. And that teacher, I asked, you know, why why did you you move? And he said, one word, freedom. And then he went into a little more detail. He said, you know, it's really tough for teachers because we were being told in said blue state, which just happens to be Hawaii, but it wasn't the island of Maui. It was a different island. Uh, In any case, this person said, we were telling our students they had to put on masks because that was the protocol that is what the Department of Education was requiring. Uh, but the kids hated it. And then when the kids went home, they complained to the parents and the parents hated it. Uh, so we're caught in between the, the, the students, uh, the parents and the official protocol of the Department of Education of the state of Hawaii. So uh, I just had enough. So uh, yeah, he picked up and moved and left paradise and went to a red state for freedom. Taking a look at this story in the Washington Examiner, August 25th, 2023, the story is return of the mask, COVID-19 spikes, prompt restart of U.S. mandates. It almost sounds like a uh, like a cheap B horror movie, doesn't it? Return of the Mask. Well, according uh, to this piece, uh, infection rates uh, have bumped up recently and that COVID-19 mitigation strategies are being re-implemented uh, for uh, schools, for universities, uh, for different organizations, even private industri- uh, organizations are beginning to re-implement the COVID strategies that they had a number of years ago in, uh, in 2020. And so let's take a listen uh, to this piece, and this is cut number three. Businesses and local governments are considering reinstating controversial mask mandates. Masks have been at the core of political controversy on COVID-19 mitigation strategies, as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention flip-flopped on the efficacy of masks throughout the pandemic. People should not be walking around with masks. Eventually, 39 states enacted mask mandates based on CDC recommendations and local case counts. Now one major hospital in San Francisco and two in New York are reinstituting mask mandates for staff and patients. Gates film studios in Hollywood is requiring masks for nearly half of its Santa Monica employees, as are some colleges across the country. Some public health experts are advising those with chronic pre-existing conditions, as well as senior citizens, take extra precautions, including masking. Others, however, say masks are ineffective at preventing respiratory illnesses in general. A meta-analysis study published in February found even respirators such as N95 masks probably make little to no difference in catching or transmitting flu, COVID-19, or other respiratory illnesses. Well, let's jump into this. Uh, in a related piece, uh, CNN, and this is Sandy uh, Lamott, uh, August 23rd, uh, 2023. It may be time to break out the masks against COVID, some experts say. And, oh, wow, is this any surprise? They're saying octogenarians are in a high-risk group. Yep, they need a mask or at least they need to do it until the numbers start to drop again. So we're looking at numbers again, but we're not looking at numbers of deaths. We're looking at numbers of people who uh, are sick and have the disease. So we know from past statistics that COVID only hospitalizes uh, a very small percentage of the population, less than 1%. Uh, But here we go. Here's the numbers. And I I really wonder how long is it going to take before they start giving us these daily numbers on a national television alphabet networks. So many are sick. So many are in the hospital. Uh, Really, uh, folks, uh, let's let's get a grip here. Let's take a deep breath. And uh, remember, we got through this last time, and we can get through this again. Uh, Other high-risk groups, according to the article, people with diabetes, cancer, chronic liver, kidney, lung disease, same playbook, this is just a repeat of uh, 2020, same playbook, quote, if you're a caregiver or somebody who is at increased risk, uh, make sure that you take your precautions, put your mask on, And since the masks are most effective, uh, our N95 masks, uh, make sure you put those masks on. A couple of observations here. On the program 60 Minutes in March 2020, our favorite doctor, Anthony Fauci, had this to say. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Well, uh, should they be or shouldn't they be? Uh, Mr. Fauci, uh, can, can you clarify that? So the story that we just listened to, it's saying mask up. It's saying if you're in certain categories, put on a mask. Uh, but really, let's dig a little bit deeper because that's what we do here at Narrative Wars. This is a narrative. You need to wear the mask. You need to uh, listen to what uh, people are saying in the in the health field. And really, looking at the framing of this story, what does the mask itself represent? Well, it represents visual. Compliance, compliance to a narrative. And we're just going to call it, we're going to call it right here. I think that's a flag on the field. Oh yeah, there it is. There's a flag. Yeah, it's on the field. So uh, again, it's the same playbook. Uh, It's like we haven't learned anything. Look, people got the uh, vaccines. People were wearing the masks and COVID still spread everywhere. The vaccines we were told would stop the spread, it didn't. The masks we were told would stop the spread, it didn't. And so, I mean, have we learned anything? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, Another observation, uh, isn't it curious that COVID appeared in 2019, about one year before the presidential elections, which were in 2020? And now... There's a COVID reboot, sort of like a bad movie coming back. Yeah. Now there's a COVID reboot in 2023, and it's curiously about one year prior to the November 24, 2024 presidential election. Well, so my conclusion here is that it's quite amazing to recognize how the covid disease knows that it needs to appear uh, about 1 year prior to the presidential election cycle of course the presidential election cycle has happens every 4 years and the covid just sort of knows it's time to raise its ugly head about a year prior to the election it's almost as if the disease knows how to look at the calendar and schedule it's encore. It's reboot. Well, that's just crazy talk. So we're not we're not going to go there, folks. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Well, taking a look at our final piece for today's edition of Narrative Wars, the Trump mugshot. Now, Trump was indicted last week, and this was the fourth indictment, and this was in the state of Georgia. And uh, so, according to some reports, Donald Trump's mugshot is the best thing that ever happened to the former president's campaign, uh, with the image said, to motivate his supporters. Let's take a listen to this piece, cut number four. I think Biden will make it himself, but especially after Donald Trump's fourth indictment last week, Trump had his mugshot taken by authorities, and typical for this maverick, he struck a pose and has turned this into a bit of a marketing win, something I took up with Kristen Tate. Yes, that mugshot is going to be the most Famous mugshot in human history. It is instantly iconic. And that mugshot will be hugely motivating to Trump's base. When they see that mugshot, Chris, they see it as a symbol of a two tiered justice system that goes after conservatives and tries to lock them up, punish them, and sometimes, uh, you know, silence them. So that mugshot is the best thing that ever happened to Donald Trump's campaign. So this was a piece that ran Sky News August 28, 2023. Donald Trump's mugshot will motivate his supporters. And they're saying that the mugshot is going to be seen as a symbol of a two-tiered justice system. Well, a couple observations here. Trump went on to X, formerly known as Twitter, and he sent out this mugshot. Now, if you recall, Trump hasn't gone on to Twitter for years ever since they banned him for twi- from Twitter. Now, when Elon Musk purchased Twitter, he allowed Trump to come back. He, he opened up that channel of communication. But Trump felt he didn't need it because he had Truth Social and that people could go there and take a look at what the president was saying. Well, this is really interesting because trump actually broke uh with that he put the mug shot out on twitter and it has gone absolutely viral uh, it is being picked up all over the internet is being put on coffee mugs it's being put on t-shirts it's uh uh being put on you know those cute little you know that uh clothing you put on your dog and you know or or, or a puppy or maybe a cat you know the no no it's not I just made that up. Uh, the Trump campaign claims they've raised about $7 million after the mugshot uh, was taken and it went viral. Uh, Trump is, I have to say, that Trump is an absolute genius. He's able to take a bad situation and turn it around. He understands television uh, better than anyone. Uh, he knows how to use the medium, Uh, He knows how to use social media. He knows uh, how to uh, put out an image. And, of course, images are what drives both social media, your Instagram, your TikTok, and, of course, television. Uh, District Attorney Fannie Willis, uh, she handed Donald J. Trump, and this is the DA in uh, Georgia that took the Trump mugshot District Attorney Fannie Willis, she gave Donald Trump uh, millions of dollars of free publicity. You know, as this thing has gone viral all over the United States, all over the world, this is millions of dollars worth of free publicity. And notice how the three other district attorneys in federal court, they refused to take a mugshot of Donald J. Trump. Maybe they knew something that Fannie Willis did not know. Uh, well, Fannie Willis thought that uh, she'd be smarter than all the others by forcing Trump to sit down and take a mugshot and look defeated. But it turns out uh, Trump doesn't look defeated. He looks resistant. And I can see t-shirts coming out with his face and, and the word underneath it, resist or other spicy language. Uh, Before boarding the airplane and departing from Georgia, Trump Proclaim that he, uh, once again, that he was innocent and that he had done nothing wrong by challenging the results of the 2020 presidential election. And again, we've covered this in past uh, programs, but if you're just joining us uh, in, uh, and this is your first uh, listen uh, to narrative wars, you remember past uh, presidential elections. Uh, there was Al Gore. Uh, who challenged the election. There was somebody named Hillary Clinton that uh, challenged elections, the election results multiple times. Uh, there were even uh, people that uh, challenged the election at the gubernatorial uh, level uh, across the country. So this is a part of what we do in America. This is First Amendment protected free speech. And uh, so... You know, when when this happens, people are saying, well, you know, the United States is beginning to look like a a banana republic where the Constitution is meaningless and the uh, First Amendment and the free speech uh, protections uh, in the Constitution aren't worth the paper they're printed on. And now let's take a look at the bigger picture. Well, just sort of to transition here, earlier we were talking about masks and how it affects school children. And well, it kind of made me reflect on my days, uh, K through 12. Uh, the days when I was preparing to go back to school. Well, it is back-to-school time now for grades K through 12. Children are getting back into their weekly routines. Parents are relieved that they don't have to frantically look for summer activities anymore for their children. And teachers are trying to evaluate how much information was lost during the summer and how much time should be spent reviewing material to get the students back up to speed for the new year. Well, I've always looked forward to -to back-to-school time, uh, which was a week or two before first week of classes, and I always look forward to that first week of school. Before uh, school started, my mother would take me shopping for new clothes. We'd go to Sears or Penny's, And I'd sometimes see other kids in the store with their parents doing the same. Uh, Then there was book day. We'd go to school and pick up books for a new year. And, you know, we're all trying to look really cool. Like, hey, we had a really awesome summer and look at my suntan and, And uh, yeah, how are you doing? And did you have an awesome summer? So we're kind of, you know, checking each out on uh, book day uh, back on the school campus, picking up books. Uh, When we got home, we'd put book covers on the books uh, so that they could be in decent shape for next year's students. And of course, there was the trip to the store to buy school supplies. Well, today a lot of people go to Walmart. Uh, There's plenty of choices out there to get all those school supplies, and most schools provide a list uh, according to grade and the particular school of what school supplies they need. Well, I think I liked buying school supplies actually more than buying clothes. Well, after all, I it was pretty hard on clothes, and I knew I'd tear them to pieces during school. So the school supplies, on the other hand, they they might last to the end of the year. I mean, maybe my notebook would... Uh, maybe I'd still have a few of the pencils that uh, were new at the beginning of the year and markers, a, a ruler, other odd implements for math and geometry. Look, you get I went to school back in the dinosaur days, so there was no computer. We actually used something called a pen to take notes with, and we used something called paper to write uh, the notes on. Well, come to think of it, Most of the school supplies, though, they didn't last the entire year. Well, transitioning now to the first week of school, what was it that I was looking forward to? Well, the biggest thing I looked forward to in that first week was seeing my old friends again. Uh, Everybody asked, how was your summer? And so you had to be prepared for that big question, kind of rehearsed it in your mind, because you knew that you were going to ask it. And then you were going to ask how was your summer? So no one wanted to have a lame answer like, well, I uh, I just watched a lot of TV and I rode my bicycle during the commercials. No, lame. No, no, nobody wants to be saying that or caught dead saying that. So if the family took a vacation to another state, well, you were expected to tell that story. And I, oh, yeah, we went to, uh, you know, this really big park and there was this thing in called a geyser, and it would go shoot up in the sky, and the water was really hot, so you had to stand far away from it, and there was a buffalo, and, yeah, I think they have a TV show about that place today now, but that TV show wasn't around back then, and if somebody got a new dog or cat, details needed to be provided post-haste, and if you got a new brother or sister, well, that was a really big deal. Um, Did you have to share your room with the new brother or sister, or, or Did you get to keep your own room or, or did you and your older brother now have to stack up in, in the bedroom, you know, like bunk bed style and, and then the baby gets a whole room to themselves, something called a nursery. Ah, gee, thanks a lot. Well, and then there were the pretty girls on campus that amazingly enough, they hung out with, well, you guessed it, other pretty girls. And I guess it was sort of a defense safety maneuver. Um, they always kind of walked in little packs, packs of two or three, but never won by themselves. They never really understood that because guys would just boldly walk around solo on campus. But girls, they usually didn't do that. And I, and I guess it was a defense mechanism because the boys were always interested in impressing other boys by talking to one of the, you guessed it, one of the pretty girls. Well, as you listen to my feeble recollections of my bygone K to 12 years, I hope that my ramblings will trigger some brief moments of happier memories and happier times and the innocence of your childhood. But now, in today's world, it seems that uh, things have changed a bit. Uh, it's as if the simple joys of childhood and the veil of innocence has been lifted. Uh, Yeah, the uh, frickin' CDC is now involved in back-to-school. Did I just say that? Can you say that on on a podcast? Uh, Make sure your kid is germ-aware, according to the CDC. Pack a mask in your kid's school bag, mom or dad, along with hand sanitizer. Don't stand next to another child if they're symptomatic. Well, You know, when I was a child in K through 12, I didn't even know what symptomatic was. Even today, it takes a bit of an effort to spell it. So what is our takeaway here? Are we raising a new generation of germaphobe children? Will going to school in hazmat suits for grades K to 12 be the next logical step in the precautionary disease prevention narrative? Hmm. I certainly hope not, but only time will tell. However uncertain future events may be, there are a few realities that we can hang our hats on. First, human beings. Well, they've been around for a long time. Second, human beings have survived many challenges and they continue to thrive on this planet. And third, the human race. well I believe they're going to get through this present challenge also. Finally, I'm reminded of the words of a particular person that walked, talked, and lived among us about 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus, and he said, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's an encouraging thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. Hey. So tired. Hey.